0: Rewind of the Living Dead is brought to you by Germ Death Hand Sanitizer. The only hand sanitizer with 66.6% ethyl alcohol kills 99.9% of germs that are out there. Be sure to check them out at GermDeath.com and visit them at Facebook and Instagram at GermDeath. Rewind of the Living Dead is also brought to you by ReanimatedRecords.com. Your place for movies, DVDs, Blu-rays, VHS, vinyl, CDs... Cool music stuff, cool horror stuff, cool everything. ReanimatedRecords.com has it. Fair warning, Rewind of the Living Dead is a review show, so spoilers are ahead.
1: Following the release of the novel Red Dragon in 1981 by author Thomas Harris, a film adaptation was put into works just a few years later, with Dino Laurentiis serving as producer. The search started for a director capable of adapting the material, and David Lynch was initially offered the job, but he ultimately turned it down. That's when Michael Mann stepped into the role after he had found massive success as a showrunner on the hit series Miami Vice. Mann didn't change a lot from the original book, although he definitely added his signature touch when it came to the visuals and the cinematography, including the colorful lighting throughout the film. William Peterson eventually landed the lead role as retired FBI profiler Will Graham and a British actor named Brian Cox was cast as the serial killer named Hannibal Lecter. The title of the film was eventually changed from Red Dragon because De Laurentiis had just experienced a flop with the movie Year of the Dragon and he didn't want this adaptation to be confused for some sort of martial arts spectacle. When the film was released, Critics were not kind, with one reviewer calling the movie a chic, well-cast wasteland, but eventually, years later, man's work gained a cult classic status among cinephiles.
0: Intruder entered through kitchen sliding door.
1: Nationwide victims. Yeah, this is Will Graham of the FBI. One killer. This is what the subject's teeth look like. In the latest episode of Rewind with the Living Dead, we're going to talk into our tape recorders while listening to Inagata Davida as we look back on the 1986 film Manhunter. living dead i am damon martin and i'm patrick Guerra. and patrick if we ever decide to release a bloopers episode of the (laughs) podcast tonight would be a prime example of that because it took us like 20 minutes just to get through the intro and, folks, if you
0: were a little confused there when you were listening to that trailer that Damon played, you, you must have thought, Damon and Patrick are on cocaine. This is the cocaine episode. It is the cocaine episode. It's Manhunter. We're really getting into it with that Florida neon weird shit going on, and we were all just hyped up before the show, and we couldn't get through our lines. We just could not get through it. it was, well, uh,
1: actually, happens. actually, I think we got through our lines. That's the problem. We, did, we snorted a few too many before <laughs> yeah, the show. Got, we We, we railed some lines. We we got, we definitely got into those. Yeah. There's a reason why my nickname for Patrick is eight ball. I mean, I'm just saying. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. No,
0: we're talking Manhunter tonight. We're kind of cheating. I told Damon this before the show, we're cheating a little bit. Is Manhunter a horror film, Damon? It's kind of just a thriller, but thrillers are an offshoot of horror. Don't you think?
1: Yeah and this is the argument I always made for Silence of the Lambs which of course is you know some of the same characters you know in in the future well obviously that's a you know academy award winning amazing film and and was beloved from the day it was released unlike Manhunter which actually took quite a few years to find an audience but yeah like I I argue all the time that just because Silence of the Lambs is a is a great thriller and it's an academy award winning film doesn't make it any less of a horror movie I mean it's still to me a horror movie there's some truly creepy just skin crawling moments in that movie. And I would say the same thing with Manhunter. Is it a scary movie that I sit there needing to hide my eyes and you know, could I not sleep afterwards? No, it wasn't that kind of movie, but are there horror elements? Are there terrifying elements? Are there creepy elements to a movie like this? Absolutely. So I just, I, I, I don't like, I, I'm a, I'm a horror fanatic. We're both horror fanatics, Patrick, and I don't like the idea of narrowing narrowing our window of acceptable films and saying, well, you know, this is, or this isn't. I mean, you could argue that, you know, Zombieland is a comedy far more than it's a horror film. Shot of the Dead is far more a comedy than it is a horror film, but there's so much horror involved that we would never not consider that a horror movie. It's a horror comedy, but we would still consider it in our realm of horror films. So I think this kind of falls in that same category. This is a thriller, but it's definitely still got horror elements.
0: The key component to a movie like Manhunter, uh, a movie like Silence of the Lambs, is that these are about serial killers. Serial killers are a real-life thing, folks. Uh, like, um, newsflash, in case anyone didn't know that. Um, so I, th- I think that why I think uh, serial killer thrillers in particular are relevant is because that that's the kind of things where you can go, Oh, that really could for sure happen. You know, Jason can't really happen. Jason's kind of a serial killer, but he's supernatural. There's a bunch of weird shit. Freddie, a dream demon. You know, these are all, these are, those are all fantastical things. These are things that can happen. These are things that have happened. I mean, they're based on true stories. A lot of them. Um, I, do you know, I I know you're a much more of a reader than I am. Is Manhunter, Man or I should say Red Dragon, the, the book that this is based
1: on, is it is it taken from elements of real serial killers? Not particularly. I know that Thomas Harris had interviewed a couple of people when he was doing this book, and I know Michael Mann had done the same when he was doing the movie, but I don't think anything was – necessarily based upon one particular serial killer i would say they both did research that led them in this direction but it wasn't based on anything in particular basically from uh tom harris from thomas harris who of course also wrote you know silence of the lambs of course uh you know basically he kind of i wouldn't say became obsessed but he got interested uh while he was attending classes and and basically talking to fbi agents into behavioral Sciences units uh, and and basically that gave him the inspiration there. And so that's where he kind of got the idea for the book. But it's not based on any one particular story. You couldn't say, well, it's based on Ed Gein or it's based on whatever. If you've ever seen was the show Mindhunter, um, I think is the right name, uh, the, the right. Netflix show. Like that's where they talk about the beginning of the behavioral sciences unit in the FBI. And I think this is kind of like an offshoot of that, because at that point that became a popularized when that book was released, and, and and they actually started doing like behavioral sciences in the FBI and profiling and things like that, uh, that is kind of where the explosion of these kind of films came from. Because again, the term serial killer—it's not like that's been around for you know decades. Like that's a fairly recent term not recent as in like the last 10 years but like recent as in like the 70s I think is when they actually t- you know coined that term serial killer so it's a
0: modern term yeah. yeah
1: so it's not like this is something that goes back to like the early 1900s where people knew what they were called serial killers you know what I mean so I think at that time in the 70s when that really became like a well known thing serial killer the terminology the the ideology behind it that kind of exploded into film and I think this is where obviously Thomas Harris was inspired to write this in 1981, and then five years later, we get Manhunter.
0: Yeah, and you know, and listen, ultimately, what, what that all boils down to is you get something that could really happen to you. Um, I think Manhunter and a lot of great serial killer movies approach things from a very grounded place. That on its own can be kind of freaky. It really is. Now, Manhunter is interesting, Damon, because I, I've seen this movie many times over the years, but again, when we sit down with our critical eye, we see it differently. And this time around, I found myself very—I don't know—I don't know if perplexed is the right word, but like, Will Graham is our lead character, played by William Peterson. And most people probably know William Peterson if they don't know him from Manhunter, they know him from the CSI franchise on TV. Like, he's like the CSI guy—that's him. Um, his whole thing, this character, Will Graham, like. Talking to himself is so odd, and it's so. I don't want to say off-putting, but it's sort of. I I I sort of found myself going, "This is a fucking coked-up movie," because <laughs> it's 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 very eighties. It's like eighties to the max, Um and and like there's there's just there's just some air of it where I don't know. I, again, I didn't read the books. I'm sure that the uh, the the protagonist in the books has an inner monologue because he's working out the details of how to catch this killer. But in the movie, he's sort of manic. Like Will Graham is, and and he is, uh, you know, he has some past trauma uh, hunting down serial killers. So there is a mania to him. But overall, that and like the pacing and the way the characters act and everything, it just seemed like a giant Coke party on that set. I, I doubt I'm wrong about that.
1: Well, here's where, I, and I, I don't necessarily d- disagree. I mean, listen, this was the eighties and you know, the guy who made this movie also made Miami Vice where you're quite sure Crockett and Tubbs were bumping rails on the weekends. <laughs> Uh, but that being said, I think what makes this so unique now, the old, the whole idea of Will Graham speaking into a tape recorder is very much in line with that character from the books. So that's kind of what he does. That's kind of his process of talking his way through a crime scene. That's how he kind of figures things out. He kind of talks his way through a crime scene and he's talking to the tape recorder almost <laughs> in a, damn <laughs> He doesn't just talk to the tape recorder. Well no, he no.
0: yelling. He starts. Uh, you think you're. You think you're. You think you're clever, don't you?
1: Yeah. I'm gonna find you, arm. I'm gonna find you. Like, well, I was and, like whoa. Yeah. Whoa. But, and, but I. I think that also. I think that speaks and one of the reasons why. Uh, and we'll get into Red Dragon, the movie that was made by Brett Ratner years later with. Uh, you know, they redid this as the actual movie Red Dragon with, of course, you know, the great Anthony Hopkins playing Hannibal Lecter uh, in the lead role with Edward Norton. But, uh, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. But, uh, what I think made this movie so genuine and haunting in a lot of ways is that William Peterson plays that trauma suffered, you know, that, that, that PTSD kind of character very, very well, very haunted character. And so when he does things like those emotional outbursts where he's yelling basically at himself and, and listen, there is there overacting in there. Absolutely, if there was an overacting, <laughs> if there was overacting in this film, it's one hundred percent William Peterson. You know, going off and being like you son of a bitch. You know, <laughs> there's there's a couple of moments like that. But also, I think what that does is it is it speaks to the trauma that he's carrying from the Hannibal Lecter case. Because when we first meet Will, uh, when we first meet Will Graham in this movie, which that opening shot? One of my favorites of the entire film. Them sitting on the beach. William Peterson sitting this way Dennis Farina who's a phenomenal actor in his own right sitting the other way kind of having a conversation and you can see right from that interaction right there not only do they know each other are they familiar with each other but you can kind of see in that scene alone how traumatized Will Graham is from his past and he does a very good job of carrying that tone throughout the movie like there's very little levity in William Peterson's life of this movie, Will Graham's life in this movie, because he is so haunted by the things he's done, the things he's seen and the things he's you know done as a, as a profiler, as an FBI agent uh, that are still haunting him. You know what I mean? Like you can, there's a, there's a scene later in the movie where he's talking to his son in a grocery store and it's, it's, it's uh, so I say terrifying. It's, it's haunting because like you can see, like he doesn't quite know how to interact with his own son while he's trying to like, comfort him and, and give him like some peace about what they're going through. And you could just see this guy's just tortured. Like this guy's a tortured soul. So I think some of that comes across. And I think that is a, a huge part of this movie. And one thing the red Dragon, the movie years later got so wrong and never really displayed correctly was how traumatized will Graham is supposed to be from that interaction with, with Hannibal Lecter. And I think William Peterson displays that I would say about like 90% of the time, really well except in those moments when he's like you took your gloves off didn't you you son of a bitch (laughs) it's just a little much in those moments yeah it's a bit wacky it's a bit much
0: it is uh you know and and i will say this about it um i think i think it suffers from a A from cocaine script writing etc. Uh, but but like the first the first act you get bogged down with a lot of terminology and nomenclature. I think in that respect it's like probably very faithful to the book. Um, but it's like it's a lot of talking and it's a lot of talking at rapid fire pace because it's very cokey. So they're just kind of going going going. They're talking about this. They're talking about that. They're breaking this down. They're breaking that down. And you're just like okay okay okay. And, and it just sort of I, I don't know. I was bogged down in the beginning. Once the catalyst of this movie, which is Graham deciding to use himself as bait um I to me that's the catalyst because it's like that's his commitment that's his lock-in moment he's 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 committing to this yes, they're trying to look for this guy and he's he's on the edge of deciding if he really wants to be part of it he's gonna help out and at some point he's like, fuck it I need to go all in and I need to be bait to catch this guy and that's and and he just puts himself right back in the abyss. And that's where the movie, for me, picks up. Um, again, there's still some pacing issues here and there. Uh, but uh, when, when we talk about scary Damon, Tom Noonan, who is, by the way, like a, a fantastic staple uh, of the genre. Of, uh, he's a genre actor in, in, and a great character actor in his own right. That's when things really start getting creepy.
1: Yeah, Tom Noonan is is fantastic. And and for those unaware, you know, I mean, Tom Noonan's pretty famous. I, I assume most people know who Tom Noonan is. But, of course, he also played Frankenstein in The Monster Squad. He makes a brief appearance in Heat. Uh, as the guy who's offering up the bank job to Robert De Niro's character, which is another Michael Mann film, uh, Tom Noonan's fantastic, and this is probably one of the highlights of his career playing you know the Tooth Fairy, playing Francis Dollarhide, uh, and he's fantastic. He's terrifying. I mean, he's a six foot five kind of a hulking guy, anyways, but he just plays this part so haunting and so real and so creepy. Uh, it's fantastic. One thing I will, and I'm not, it's not arguing necessarily. It's more of just like one thing I like about this movie. Now, I, not to the lead in terms of like reviewing this because we got a lot of categories to get to as well but overall would you say you enjoy manhunter like you 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 fairly much like this film right i'm not saying it's your one of your all-time favorites but you like this Uh, movie i think i would give it like a b minus and that
0: sounds bad but it's not it's like the sum of its parts makes it enjoyable that's what i would say i i like love the cinematography and the score are very 80s but like done really well. Like the cinematography in this movie is kind of addicting and it's, and it's like, it's harsh and it, and they, but then it goes to these soft, like sunrise and sunset moments. I think Michael Mann has a great eye for cinema in general. So his movies are like a kind of visually very tasty. Um, So I think the sum of its parts that Tom Noonan there, there were good parts with Will Graham. I wouldn't, he was, he's, you know, Spoiler: He's not my best performance pick uh, as the lead, but uh, you know, like, there's a lot to this movie that
1: I like. It's just, you know, it's listen, it's fucking kind of coked out. Yeah. So it, my point in asking that question was this because I I love Manhunter. It's it's one of my one of my favorites, and and it, and it's one of my favorites on a lot of different levels. Not only because. Of the movie itself, but the cinematography, the soundtrack, things you talked about that you really liked, I absolutely love in this movie. But when you talk about, you know, it really picks up the pace once you actually meet the Tooth Fairy, once you actually meet Francis Dollarhide for the first time. And I would agree, that is a great moment in the movie. When you actually see him for the first time, he kind of becomes flesh and blood instead of just this, you know, theory of who he is. And that's when the movie does change and alter and then kind of, you know, direction changes in this movie. That being said... I really enjoy the first half of the movie because this is really the first film of that era that I can remember. And again, I grew up, you know, in, in, you know, you know, very early on. I I didn't see Manhunter years later, but I'm saying like this is the first movie I can remember watching from this era from '86, you know, in the '80s that really really got into like the weeds of forensic investigations because every cop drama, every cop movie for the most part, you know, you might get some fingerprint analysis and you might get, you know, uh, you know things like that, but you you know, really it was more about like, you know, the witnesses and and you know doing the investigation on evidence and things like that. It was very rarely to the full extent of forensic science, like where they were, you know, doing, you know, <laughs> when they were doing like lab testing and, and really getting into like the nitty gritty of like that kind of, so like hair analysis and things like that. This is the first film I can remember that did that. Now I'm a bit of a science nerd, so I loved that part. Like I loved that stuff. Like I was fascinated watching them like in the scene when they realize that Hannibal Lecter is actually communicating with the tooth fairy and they find that toilet paper roll in his cell with the written, you know, the written note from him and they're analyzing that. And they're rushing it back and forth, and they're trying to figure out the part that was ripped off, what was actually said in there, and all these kind of things. I'm—I was fascinated. That was as riveting as anything else in this movie to me because I really enjoyed seeing that. Uh, done, really, for the first time in that film. Now, of course, that's become standard fare in films and TV nowadays. You know what I mean? You can't do a cop drama, for the most part, without getting into forensics. And you're certainly, I mean, obviously, CSI, a show starring William Peterson, you know, in large part, probably spawned from this kind of a movie, where you actually had that as a huge part of an investigation now. But back then, it just wasn't done. So I was fascinated by that stuff. But what my point being, when I ask you about whether or not you like the movie, is that, I was fascinated by that part. And, and then the part of the movie that kind of loses me is after the scene where Freddie Lowndes gets torched and we actually go and spend more time with Francis Dollarhide mm-hmm, when it almost mm-hmm. becomes, when it almost becomes dating with Francis Dollarhide, yep. like when that becomes a yep. movie, that's the part where I'm kind of like, eh, I don't really, I, I kind of like the mysterious nature of the serial killer. Although yeah. again, I understand why that's in there and I understand the plot device of, you know, Joan Allen's character, you know, he's trying to like, he's trying to pull himself back from the ledge a little bit. Like he's trying to convince himself he doesn't need to be a killer. He could be loved. And then of course, when he sees her with another guy, he flips out and all that kind of goes away. But in that moment, he's trying to pull himself back from the ledge. He's trying to convince himself. He is worthy of love. He is worthy of, of loving another person and those kind of things. So that's all important. You need that in the movie, but that's kind of the part that I would say lost me, but like kind of drudged me down a little bit compared to the first half. But that's the great thing about a, a, about a good movie is that, you know, you don't have to love everything about it. Yes, there are movies. I love absolutely everything from minute one to the credits, but this movie has a lot of layers to it. And I enjoy that being that we both fairly enjoy this movie for the most part, but you actually kind of discount a little bit of the first half. I kind of discount a little bit of the second half, but we still find a common ground in enjoying this film. Yeah, I think I think there's enough
0: there to have fun, especially you know. And you know what's tricky about it this time around is that I'm watching it for a horror podcast, so I'm I'm seeking out the dread. I'm really analyzing it from that angle this time around. I'm also analyzing it overall as a film. I just I can't help myself. I do that when I watch movies. Um, but uh, the, I, I had the exact same note. You spend a lot of time getting to know Francis, our serial killer and what does that do now it made you just like you said makes total con- sense in the context of the film but when you do that you you the dread suffers because now I know – he's not in the shadows anymore. He's not a mystery anymore. When he kills uh, Stephen Lang's character, Freddie Lowndes, that's terrifying. That's scary. Like I was like, ooh. Uh, like that that part of it really like got me in it and dug, dug, dug its nails in me because I was like, damn, this is fucking tense and scary. Like that's the scary. That's what I'm looking for. That's what Rewind the de- uh, Living Dead is looking for but then when you spend like time with him making tea and hanging out with Joan Allen and like they there's a there's a genuine love affair that blooms in that in that time and they spend a lot of time doing it that suffers the dread it just does it sucks it away and then so when the when the big showdown happens um you know you you, you know the the beast in the shadows now and it's not as scary and you 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 know what he's capable of but Something has something has been taken away. Some of the intensity has been pulled back.
1: Yeah, like I said, I I get it though. I understand why it's there. You know what I mean? I get it. I understand. It does why it's makes, there. it makes sense in the context. Of it the does, film, especially sure. especially when you're giving the serial killer more than like I said. I mean, you could argue that, and and again, I would argue that you know the Tooth Fairy Francis Dollarhide is a more fleshed out character and you understand him a lot more than let's say jane gum from sounds of the lambs because sounds of the lambs you know he is just kind of this abstract killer and you do learn more about him he's you know kind of misdiagnosed as transgender and all these different things but you don't really spend a lot of time getting to know him. He's just kind of like this abstract killer. Now, does that make him more terrifying in Silence of the Lambs? Absolutely. Buffalo Bill is a freaking terrifying character, and I refuse to believe otherwise. When that guy is, like, creeping around his house and he's doing the whole dance to Goodbye Horses and everything, tell me that dude doesn't freak you the fuck out, okay? Yeah. But that's also because there's so much unknown about him, you know what I mean? So in that way, Francis Dollarhide is a, is a more complete character because— again, there are serial killers out there who aren't just mindless killing machines. Now, that doesn't absolve them from their crimes, but we've seen, and I think that's one thing that's been understood through forensic science and through behavioral science over the years, is that we have to look beyond just the the black and white of a serial killer and say, he's a bad guy. He's got to be a freak of nature. He's got to be this. I mean, there's been plenty of cases where a serial killer, I mean, BTK was found out years later. He was a freaking, what was he? Like the, he was like a church. He was a member, a big member of his church, deacon at his church and complete family man. And like, no one would have ever suspected he was the, the BTK killer. So I think that in that regard, especially for 1986 and 81 for the novel, to have that kind of layers to a character is pretty impressive. Even if it lost me a little bit, even if I didn't really want to know that much about Francis Dollarhide, I uh, in a way I'm kind of glad it exists because it actually added layers to the killer beyond just the normal, he's a bad guy. We got to get him kind of thing, which is, you know, v- fairly typical in serial killer dramas like this. Yeah,
0: absolutely. No, I, I think it, I think it is rather uh, groundbreaking, you know, to humanize in, in some way, shape and form, humanize a serial killer there a lot of them do live very normal lives a lot of them very much had the guy next door persona you hear it all the time or like you know the, like jeffrey Dahmer's neighbors knew him talked to him the guy had body parts in his in his in his refrigerator i mean it was it, it's insanity uh i want to say wasn't even ed gein kind of one of those guys too like everybody kind of knew him he was just he was like the the old man i believe so i believe he yeah was. like yeah. and you know shit I mean, we could go down the line of of like re, again that's what makes these things terrifying, is there's a reality to it. It's like and 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 Francis, uh, Tom Noonan's character in this in this movie, he has a real life, and you and you spend some time in it. And now you see, and and I think Michael Mann wisely, you know, puts puts a very specific shade over uh, over Francis to show you, yes, he lives a normal life, but there is something there's something off behind the eyes for sure like that's that's part of Michael Mann's great little genius. He, he's got a, a great a great number of character studies in his films that, that he's he's capable of doing this with. And uh, he does, he, he puts it on great display here, uh, with, with Francis. Francis is scary. Uh, it's just, you know, when he's, when you start seeing Francis eat cereal, it gets less scary.
1: (laughs) It's a, it's a real interesting film because there's so many layers to how this film actually came together. And Michael, man, this is a, This is part of a really impressive run for him. I mean, I know looking back, this film didn't get great reviews and it kind of bombed at the box office. But when you think about it in like the big picture, Miami Vice, when it first came out, I wasn't around like I wasn't like of that era. So I don't I remember it, but I don't really I remember people talking about Miami Vice in the 80s. But I don't remember the show because I was not old enough to watch it. Uh, But. I remember the hype. I remember the attention. People still talk about Miami Vice. That was a massive, massive show. I used to watch Miami Vice, yeah. Yeah, Miami Vice, this, and then Crime Story was another huge show for him. I mean, those are all, like, 80s icons. Like, this is when you think about that run he had from, like, 84 to, like, 88. Like, that's a pretty incredible run. And Michael Mann is a guy who doesn't work a lot, not because he doesn't have offers. It's because he chooses not to work. He chooses projects he wants to do. Now, does he always choose the right project I would say Black Hat proves otherwise but uh, mm-hmm. you know Heat is the greatest heist movie ever uh, anyone that argues with me can go to hell because it is the greatest <laughs> heist movie ever uh, oh. it, it's amazing It's I think Collateral is a great movie I really oh, like Collateral God, I love Collateral uh, I think it's great That's a great movie so I'm a Michael Mann fan even though I don't necessarily I mean Last of the Mohicans he's got a lot of good movies but he doesn't do a lot so when he chooses to do something I tend to pay attention and this was a good run for him but the interesting thing about this movie is it almost it was almost completely different Patrick because the casting for this movie was so interesting and this will get us into our categories with uh, our best performance and our favorite characters so let me run this down for you okay so before William Peterson got the role there were a few other choices for the lead role of Will Graham. Check these out. Richard Gere was one option. Oh, I like that. Mel Gibson was another option. And, Probably a good
0: pick. He's and a scumbag,
1: my, but okay. And my favorite one... And I'm not saying he would have done better just because I think it would have been interesting to see a bit of an older character in this role. Paul Newman was actually considered for that role. Now I'm, I I think Will Graham is like who he is, is like a, you know, 30, you know, 35, 36 year old, whatever it is, like family man is under. And again, you get that role with like his kid and his wife. I get That's all hugely important to the role. But Paul Newman, like as like a grizzled kind of like 55 year old cop, that'd be interesting to me. I would fuck with that hard. You know what's funny is like, so we have a
0: lot of categories, and sometimes we do recast of The Living Dead. I wanted to recast uh, the Will Graham role, and I just couldn't think of somebody in the '80s that would do it. That whole list is killer. That's a good list, but I, I Paul Newman would be at the absolute top of that list. That'd be I, fucking
1: great. I think that would be good, but I say if you want to keep the role the same, I think Richard Gere would be good. Richard Gere's
0: a yeah, damn Richard good actor. Gears. That that piques my interest big time. I think Richard Gere is actually much better than Mel Gibson. I think Mel Gibson's a little too too y <laughs> It's like <laughs> you don't need the coke energy. We're gonna we're gonna put it all in the film. So let's let's pull that back. Richard Gere would I think have that subdued. Uh, you know I know we're we're kind of doing recast right now, which is fine because this is a great piece of trivia. But yeah, I I, I would have probably gone. The, I think the happy medium to continue to tell that story would probably be Richard Gere.
1: And Richard Gere is a really good actor. Like if people don't like, I know people like to kind of discount him because he's had some, you know, kind of the, the, he went on that like run of like the pretty woman films in a row where it was like him and like the romantic comedy kind of thing. But when you go back to the eighties, when Richard Gere was kind of coming into be, you know, kind of becoming a star, he was fantastic. I mean, he is such a good actor. And I think that, I think he could have played that haunted. Like when you watch him in Primal fear when he's acting opposite Edward yeah. Norton, like you can see that kind of darkness in him uh, that I think you need to play Will Graham. Now that being said, I love William Peterson. I think William Peterson's fantastic. He's a great actor in this role, and I think in a lot of ways. And listen, I am the biggest Edward Norton fan you'll ever meet. I would say Edward Norton's probably one of my top ten favorite yeah, actors of all good. time. But when you compare Will Graham from Red Dragon to Will Graham in Manhunter, William Peterson blows it out of the water because uh, that- I disagree. I, well, here's okay. So the, the entire idea is that Will Graham is just completely haunted by hit, you know, his, that's why he retired. That's why he left the role. And I feel like, you know, like there's still a bit more pep in the step of like Will Graham and Red Dragon. Like Ed, Edward Norton doesn't really play haunted very well in that movie. Like it's almost like five minutes into the movie. He's like, all right, I'll help out. Come on, let's go. Like, there's not, I don't know. There's like, there's not a darkness in him from that that you feel in, uh, that you feel in Red Dragon, in my opinion. I think there's a it's
0: funny cuz like I couldn't get uh, Ed Norton out of my head when I wanted to recast the the role for this cuz you know I, I actually like Red Dragon um as as a movie I, I think it's fine um but I I think I, what I like about him is there was an emptiness as opposed to Will Graham's like trauma like he was almost like shell-shocked you know like like truly there was a PTSD situation with his that's the way he chose to play it which is actually a testament to William Peterson's like acting chops i wasn't like blown over by his performance but i could see why he was making his choice with ed norton it, it was sort of like i'm dead inside so fuck it i'll do this <laughs> that's how that's how it felt to me and it, and so i liked that take uh and and i we could talk about red dragon a little if you want um i it might be my favorite brett ratner movie to be honest with you it's actually not bad it's a pretty kind of cool. It, it's a it's different from this. You also get Philip Seymour Hoffman in the Freddie Lowndes role, which I mean, come on, Philip Seymour Hoffman was amazing. Um, you, you I, Ray Fiennes as as uh, as, as uh, was he the Tooth Fairy in that, or did yeah, they call him was, Red Dragon? Yeah,
1: they, it was, it was France, yeah, it was it was Tooth Yeah, it was Tooth Fairy Francis Dollarhyde. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, no no disrespect to Tom Noonan's
0: performance. I thought he was great. It just but like Ray Fiennes, I don't know. I think Red Dragon's a pretty damn good remake of this.
1: See, I, I disagree for a lot of reasons, and the biggest being that the movie is way, way, way too, like, pretty. Like, it, there's no griminess to that movie at all. Like, it's just way too, like, flooded and light, and and there's just no, like, it, it, this is a dirty serial. Like, like when you watch Silence of the Lambs, like, yes, there's some, obviously, scenes that take place during the daytime, but that film, the way that Jonathan Demme shot that film, it is so dark and damp and, and just... Just really like reeks of like that kind of creepy element of everything you want, like from the dungeon layer where they're keeping Hannibal Lecter to the houses she's investigating when Clarice is doing her investigation. Like it's just a really dark, uh, grimy a, film. It's uh, a good film. <laughs> and and there's just to me like Red Dragon feels like the remake. Red Dragon just feels like way too like way too light and fluffy. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Like there's just no darkness there's no foreboding darkness over this movie i would argue ray fines to me is a horrible horrible francis dollar right now he is a good actor i like ray fines in general but he is just there's nothing menacing about him in that role tom noonan is menacing tom noonan six foot five kind of scary looking you know kind of hulking dude is a scary guy ray fines is like five nine you know i don't nothing, think he's taller than that i'm uh, not ray Fiennes. Uh, i mean he's he, by, just, maybe he might be about six foot he's yeah. not yeah, like, he's it. just okay. not like there's just nothing like and like they make it. like Obviously, the entire point of the Francis Dalloway character characters, he feels he is like, you know, kind of he has the, the cleft palate, but he's kind of like he feels deformed. He feels like that's he's he feels he's made to feel ugly from a very young age and that Tom Noonan role kind of fills that whereas Ray Fiennes like you can try to ugly him up he's still a good looking dude like it's not it's okay. hard it's not it's it's hard to see him in that role like I just did I 100% did not like him in that role I thought he was the worst part of that movie uh, now I don't mind Edward Norton I thought Edward Norton was again uh, just didn't play the haunted part very well and even though I think William Peterson overacted a lot of the big roles a lot of the, a lot of the <laughs> moments in Red Dragon or in, uh, in Manhunter I just as much as I love Edward Norton, I just felt like he just he didn't really he didn't really display the kind of emotion that I wanted out of Will Graham in that moment like when you watch like I watched uh, Hannibal the TV series uh, with uh, what was his name Hugh Dancy I think it's the guy who played Will Graham in that show now this is a controversial opinion because there's a lot of huge Hannibal fans out there I didn't really like the show. I just didn't. I couldn't get into it, but I mm. did like the way Hugh Dancy played Will Graham because once again, once again, very haunted, very dark, very you know. I don't know a better word to use for it than haunted. Like he looked traumatized, and Edward Norton just didn't do that in that movie. I mean, there were other parts. Like I think Harvey Keitel was fine. He's obviously phenomenal. Um, you know, there were other parts that were okay. Like I said, I agree with you, Philip Seymour Hoffman. That guy could act anything. You know, sadly, he's gone, but he was amazing. I could see him do anything. He was great. But yeah, it just it was way too pretty of a movie. Like it just didn't feel like the dark kind of serial killer drama it should have been. I think Manhunter got that across much better. I, what I what I disagree with is or I don't even
0: know if I'm necessarily disagreeing because you didn't really touch on this. I just think there's a lo- there's a longer dread note in Red Dragon. There is something about that movie that is scarier for longer. And to me it it has a lot to do with how Manhunter uh Matt Hunter's characters are they're they're I mean I, I'm joking they're kind of coked up like everybody in the movie's kind of coked up, and so there's an energy to that that kind of that saps a lot of the dread because they're just kind of rapid firing each other and it's like there's not a lot of rest and 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 there's there's not a lot of quiet moments there's like pensive moments with Will Graham specifically, but overall like as the movie rolls the, the it's manic it's a it's kind of a manic movie and not. Not on the story side; it's like on the performance side. All the all the performances are rather manic, and it's it's sort of uh, it, it it's a different thing. Not a not like better, worse, just different. And so, for the like for the horror aspect, I might lean Red Dragon. I would like to have Tom Noonan. I'm, I I liked Ray Fiennes as as, uh, as Francis, but I would rather have Tom Noonan play uh, Francis in the in Red Dragon as well because Tom Noonan is just he's so good at being creepy. Like just let him do it again. And that would have been. I think it would have made Red Dragon perfect.
1: Yeah, I have. I'm, this is not a Red Dragon review, so I don't want to go too deep. I think Brett Ratner's a dog shit director. Oh, he, so. oh yeah. I don't. I've <laughs> never liked anything Brett Ratner's done except that. It, I, and as it turns out, he's also apparently a dog shit person, uh, but yeah, Correct, I, yeah, I just, that movie just, again, it, it, he, he, he did to that movie what he did to X-Men the the last, whatever that last, whatever that third, whatever Ooh. the third X-Men Let's movie was. Let's not get into that. But yeah. So anyways, <laughs> getting back to Manhunter, I just feel like that, you know, again, Red Dragon, it wasn't bad I don't dislike the movie I just feel like the elements There were elements that they didn't get right in that movie That I feel like they did get right in Manhunter There were other elements in Red Dragon that I actually liked better uh, But for that being said l- Let's get into some of our categories So we can yeah. actually touch on some of this And let's talk about best performance in Manhunter because there are a lot of strong performances in this movie I gotta be honest I think Dennis Farina is a fantastic character actor he's been around forever and he had a long-standing relationship with Michael Mann Tom Noonan of course also had that I mentioned earlier he appeared again in Heat down the road William Peterson of course went on to do big things for this movie Brian Cox uh, obviously, the God, first iteration. Brian. We haven't even talked about Brian. Yeah, Cox. first iteration of Hannibal Lecter before you know, the great Anthony Hopkins stepped into the role. So for you, Patrick, who was your best performance in this movie? Uh, well, we we have we have sprayed his name like uh,
0: like we like we accidentally blew our coke all over the room. Uh, Tom Noonan uh, as Francis uh, Dollar Hyde. He is menacing. He is disturbing. He is creepy, even when he's normal. Something is not right, and uh for that, come on, it's Tom noonan all day,
1: yeah he's fantastic he 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 really kills it, and no pun intended uh as <laughs> as Francis dollarhide, and he's creepy as hell in this role, he's fantastic for me because I went you know obviously you to make it clear for anyone who's new to the show, Patrick makes his list, he sends them to me, and then I kind of come up with mine later, so I always try to pick different moments than him, unless something's, you know, just totally obvious. Uh for me, I actually went with Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter, which is when you think about it, he was the original Hannibal Lecter before Anthony Hopkins. Of course Anthony Hopkins went on to win an Oscar for playing Hannibal Lecter, and rightly so. He was phenomenal in that role. The way Brian Cox played Hannibal Lecter though was different, but still unbelievably creepy. Unbelievably haunting in that role. And he did such a great job. And it's it's weird because I think you could have kept Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter, put him in Silence of the Lambs, and it would have been a great movie. I'm not saying he should have replaced Anthony Hopkins. I'm saying Anthony Hopkins had one of the greatest film performances ever, but I'm saying Brian Cox is talented enough. You could have put him in that movie and I think it would have done great because he is so good. Uh, And he is great in this movie. The way he, especially the phone call he has with Will Graham late in the movie when he calls him up and he has what I will say is my best line, which we'll play here in a little bit. Uh, Man, he is so good in that, in that moment when he, when he does that, it's just, he's got such, uh, great, uh, perf- uh, great uh, presence in this movie.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, I love Brian Cox and everything he does. He's just one of these guys he delivers every single time. What was tough is that the fact, the, the fact of the matter is that I'm watching this as an adult who, who already has Anthony Hopkins, you know, a version of, of, of uh, Hannibal Lecter, you know, echoing through uh, time and space. So it's unfair to compare him and Brian Cox, Brian Cox's uh, Hannibal Lecter, is much more flippant and much more casual uh and kind of has a bit of that you know that 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 quirky coked up vibe to him uh hopkins has this had this laser-like focus and disposition and it was eerie and strange and it was different brian cox didn't play it that way but he's still such a great presence on screen if you can if you can take it if you can take anthony hopkins out of your head for a second he's a fun hannibal lecter
1: yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk about our favorite characters in this movie because there's, uh, honestly, when you really think about it, there's not a lot of characters in this movie. Obviously, a lot of lead characters in this movie. There's four or five of those, but there's not a ton of extra characters. So, Patrick, who is your favorite character in, uh, in Manhunter? Oh, well, without a
0: doubt, uh, the fine character actor in Dennis Farina, who plays Crawford. Uh, Dennis Farina is just one of these guys. He's the guy. He's like, oh, he's the guy from that thing. And he always plays sort of a tough guy or sort of he's he's a fast talking uh, East Coast type guy. I, I love seeing him on screen. He's so good in everything he does. And he's very natural. I don't think he was a trained actor as far as I can remember if I've read, read up on him. He's just a guy who's like, yeah, I'll do that. and And it just comes out so good every single time.
1: Yeah, he's uh he's fantastic. I like Dennis Farina a lot. He's one of those he's one of those that guys who's like you see him, he's like, Oh, I know him. Like yeah. I've seen him in this or I've seen him in that or you know, whatever that kind of stuff. And so yeah, he pops up in a lot of films where you're kinda like, Oh yeah, I know who that is uh without actually, you know, full on knowing who he is. Uh he's fantastic. Uh for me, you know, my favorite character in this movie God it's it's a tough choice because uh, you know, I would, I, I like the, I love the FBI profiler, you know, of Will Graham. But like I said, there's some moments where it gets a little bit overdone. <laughs> uh, but I like the character of Will Graham. That being said, uh, I'm actually gonna go with uh, my favorite character being Francis Dollarhide. Even though we get into the weird dating life of Francis Dollarhide, <laughs> his performance, and I'll talk more about it later in another category. His performance with Stephen Lang when he captures, when he take, you know, when he kidnaps Freddie Lowndes. Yeah is terrifying and that in and of itself makes him fantastic. So again, that's why he's my favorite character because even though we get into like the weird tiger rubbing, uh, weird sexual situation with Joan Allen later in the movie that I'm kind of like, <laughs> do we really need like love connection with Francis Dollar Hyde? I don't know that we needed that, <laughs> but I still like Francis Dollar Hyde as a character because ultimately to make a serial killer movie, you got to have a convincing serial killer. And he is a fantastically convincing serial killer. No. Yeah. I mean, come on. Tom Noonan, man. He's great. Get with it, folks. He's great. All right. Let's talk about most hated character uh, because (laughs) there, there are always those in movies where you're like, ah, that guy or that woman, whatever. Uh, What is your most hate? Who is your most hated character in this movie?
0: Uh, The characters, Freddie Lounds played by Stephen Lang, which by the way, I didn't even recognize Stephen Lang. Can we talk about how the fact that Stephen Lang got so incredibly handsome in old age yeah. Like, like, like he doesn't – he's he's like a sleazy – he's a tabloid guy in this movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like in this movie, he's kind of this sleazy, kind of wormy dude, and you're like, uh man. Like nobody likes him, and that's – he's my most hated character. And then Stephen Lang, like now, you know him from Avatar and Don't Breathe. Uh, he's the old man who doesn't see in Don't Breathe uh, 1 and 2 – uh, the, the man has grown into his, he's aging like a fine wine. I was just like blown away. I did not realize that he was
1: Freddie Lowndes. Yeah. Yeah. That's him. I didn't. So I've seen this movie several times, but I kind of forgot he was in this. Like I kind of yeah. forgot Stephen Lane's in this and when he popped up. So again, generally speaking, I always try to pick different characters. I did not this time because Freddie Lowndes is unbelievably annoying. Uh, and his and we about overacting Stephen Lang definitely goes a little over the top <laughs> in a couple of scenes on this one the one scene the, the, the overacting scene that like kind of got me where I was like come on now is the scene where uh, William Peterson chucks him over a car and like throws yeah. him over like full on martial arts like style I'm like dude that's a touch much uh, but Stephen Lang it's he's so I mean it's so 80s so I can't really get mad at like it's not a bad yeah. perfor- I'm not saying the performance is bad I'm saying like not the character all. is very 80s and I get it, this is an 80s movie but like I was just like god this guy and as a newsman as a guy who's a journalist I am going to be a little bit more nitpicky about journalists and movies so yeah Freddie <laughs> Lowndes pisses me off in this movie by some of the things he does and says. And I'm like, Oh, and I know they're saying he's like a tabloid, like national Enquirer type journalist, which I use journalists very loosely when I talk about that kind of publication. Right. But yeah, like I'm a journalist. So I'm going to judge Like when I see, um, when I see, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and almost famous, I'm like, damn, oh, that's a guy like, I love like that. There's a couple of lines in that movie yeah. that as a journalist, I use on like a, a, weekly basis. When I think about stuff, when I'm interviewing uh, people or, or doing articles this guy, 100% the opposite of who you want to be as a journalist. <laughs> yeah, no, he played a great
0: 80s douchebag. I mean, it's a great performance from Stephen Lang, an unrecognizable Stephen Lang.
1: So weird. It's so weird to see him in this role. All right. Now, you didn't have a best line, but I did. And there's a great interaction in this movie. Late in the movie, after uh, William Peterson had already visited Hannibal Lecter early in the movie, and Hannibal Lecter actually sent the Tooth Fairy after Will Graham later in the movie they finally reconnect over the phone and there's a really haunting conversation where Will Graham's sitting in a chair this dark room kind of bathed in light and then you go to this really bright fluorescent room where Hannibal Lecter is being kept in his prison cell and he's kind of kicked back on his bed talking on the phone to Will Graham and he has this great line that just really describes the the motivation the nature of the tooth fairy and why he is the way he is. And it's so brilliant. So let me play this for you real quick. God's terrific. He dropped a church roof on 34 of his worshipers last Wednesday night in Texas as they were groveling through a hymn to his majesty. Don't you think that felt good?
0: Why does it feel good, Dr. Lecter? It feels
1: goodwill because God has power. And if one does what God does enough times, one will become as God is. That's so brilliant. One will become yeah, the as best God line is. In the movie. It's so good, and it really does. And that you, obviously, if you've seen Red Dragon. They talk a lot more about that, like why Francis Dollarhide is the way he is, is because it makes you God. Like that's that's actually a line Will Graham says in Red Dragon. Uh, but yeah, it's just delivered in that particular regard where he says that you know why would he give that up? It makes him God. And that's such a brilliant line in that in that in that movie, and I love that line when he's just like, "If you do it enough times, you feel like you're God," you know. And that was the line I was going to pick, but Damon called dibs. Yeah, I so called dibs on I that. Couldn't, I couldn't pick a, that. Was the best line in the movie. I did, I did. All right, let's talk about freakiest moment uh, because there's a there's more than a more than a few of those. So let's talk about freakiest moment in this movie for you, Patrick.
0: Oh man, so it's I, you know, listen, Tom
1: Noonan, we've
0: we've talked about ad nauseum at this point. Scary, scary dude. He's got Stephen Lang's character, Freddie Lowndes, tied up and he's he's giving him the business and it's just like, what is about to happen? What is going on? We just don't know. And then cut to this uh, um it's like a parking lot attendant who's at his booth and he he turns around and you look and you just see this this wheelchair on fire with a very clearly there's a body in it charging at him and it's it's a freaky it's it's one of those scenes, it's an iconic scene that's been circling around in my head since i was a kid like i know that scene from when i was young and it's awfully disturbing it just it's and it's a flash of a moment but you're like oh man what an awful terrible uh way to go
1: yeah so that is great and that is uh that is definitely one of the best wheelchair scenes in a movie of all time i will say that and uh, Mac and me when, uh, when, to <laughs> toss the kid over the side of the cliff. <laughs> oh, Mac and me. There you go with that one. Jeez. That's a, that's another movie right there. Uh, my freakiest moment, in this movie, uh, was, uh, was the, about 10 minutes earlier when Francis Dollarhide is kind of interrogating Freddie Lowndes and he has him taped to the chair and he's showing him slides. Now, well, uh, you don't you see some of the slides, but what makes this scene so freaky and so scary and so terrifying is when he's forcing Freddie to look at the scenes of the dead people when he's looking at them to see at the dead bodies and he keeps saying, do you see or can you see? And oh, it's just terrifying in that moment when you see that look on his that look of just petrified all over Stephen Lang's face, which again, goes to that performance that, you know, again, he, he has a great performance as a character I didn't like. Uh, but yeah, like that, he's like, do you see, that's what he says. Do you see Mrs. Leeds in human form? Do you see Mrs. Leeds yeah. transformed? Do you see? That's just so freaky, man. That, and, and not knowing exactly what you're seeing in some of those slides makes it that much more terrifying. And it's kind of the muted performance of, of uh, Tom Noonan in that character that makes it so scary in that role. He was like, do you see just as there's a a real calm. Yeah. Like just, it's just a terrifying way. He displays that terrifying way. He says things.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, in those moments, he's going to kill you and there's nothing about, there's nothing about him that's like manic. I mean, compared to like everybody else in this movie, he was completely, you know, uh, shredded out of their, out of their mind. He's very cool and calm and it's, it's creepy.
1: Yeah. So as we've, uh, clearly denoted on this, on this podcast, uh, we assume there was a lot of coke going around on set. Uh, you know, maybe plates played some of it. We're not really sure. Was it delivered? We're not really sure. Did they just borrow some from Miami vice? We're not really sure. But, uh, you created a category here called most coked out moments, which I did find <laughs> rather funny. So Patrick, what is your most coked out moment in
0: Manhunter? The uh, okay, so we spend a lot of time, obviously, with with Francis and Reba, uh, this this budding romance, and at one point in time, uh, Reba gets to, well, uh, what better way can I tell you? She she feels up a tiger. Uh, she she just runs her hands up and down like tiger fur, and she listens to his heartbeat and and like and 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 Francis is in the background, and he seems to be sort of getting turned on by the situation. Like there's something about the whole situation. It, it contextually, it actually does make a lot of sense because you know that Joan Allen's character Reba uh, is blind, so she's she can she can feel, and you know that that's kind of what they're getting at, but it's done in such a way that I thought to myself, there's no way this scene was definitely orchestrated by people who were just shredded out of their minds. <laughs> All
1: right. So I'm cheating with my coked out moment because I'm kind of splitting that I'm splitting between freakiest slash coked out moment. And then just most coked out moment. Okay. I had All to get right. to. All right. So my freakiest slash most coked out moment is when Francis and Reba are back at his house. And by the way, Joan Allen, another character, very much like Stephen Graham kind of slips into this movie and you don't realize she's there, but Joan Allen is, fantastic uh and when she's basically feeling up francis Dollarhide, about to jump on him and have some sex and he's sitting there watching the whole movies of the next people he's gonna kill to get hard that's freaky and coked out at the same time i'm mm-hmm. watching that like jesus like that is that is full-on <laughs> like manic creepy terrifying that you're watching a whole movie of the people you're gonna kill next while you're banging your new girlfriend so that's yeah that's a combination but the most coked up moment by far in this movie and it it cracks me up every time i watch it is william peterson crashing through the glass window to go after francis dollar it is it is absolutely hilarious when he literally just like takes a run in slow motion and dives through the window like that is full-on like where you knew right before the scene he was like all right we ready to go all right, let's yeah, go. Just, <laughs> oh, brr, let's go.
0: Let's
1: fucking crash a fucking he, did, glass he didn't feel shit in that role. He just jumped right through it. He's like, we don't need fake glass. I'll go through
0: real glass. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so clear that that, mu- that scene must've been designed for him to like sneak through a doorway or something. And while they were all just, just, just snorting rails and rails and rails on the set, he was like, you know what? What if I just fucking, what if I just jump through the fucking window? What if I, come on, Michael, what if I just jump through the fucking window? And Michael's like, I'm yeah, gonna we'll fucking do it. Put the camera down. Let's fucking roll the shit right. fucking Now it's amazing. And, he, and they just, they over the camera slow-mo. He's coming at, he's coming in France, is full fucking bore and blows through glass. It's, insanity.
1: Yeah, that is by far the most coked out moment. I'm sorry. Your tiger rub down is creepy. Most coked out moments, 100% <laughs> William Peterson crashing through a plate, a plane, a plane window.
0: They had all just finished rubbing that tiger <laughs> up and down. And then we're like, let's go shoot this scene. I got fucking tiger fur on me. Let's yeah. fucking break through some windows. Yeah.
1: The erotic tiger scene led right into the coked out, jump through the window. <laughs> oh man. All right. Uh, let's talk about rewrite or recast of the living dead uh, in this movie. And you know, there's a lot of things you could talk about obviously we talked about earlier so one other thing i want to mention so i didn't get to get to this we talked about the role of uh will graham let me talk about the role of hannibal lecter because before brian cox actually got here uh there were actually several other actors up for that role and so one of them was john lithgow was one of the people Ooh. considered obviously john lithgow went on to play a great serial killer in dexter in season four so he was up for that role mandy patinkin who of course went on oh. to, yeah he was up for the role he actually uh went of course, everyone knows him from Princess Bride He went on to star in Homeland Fantastic actor, William Friedkin Was also up for the role, and the guy who got closest William Friedkin, the director? No, William Friedkin, the actor Actor. Oh, he was okay. an actor. Gotcha. Uh, and the, the guy who actually got closest To the role before they ended up doing it Was Brian Dennehy Brian Ooh. Dennehy was up for the role But then he ultimately suggested Brian Cox to Michael Mann, and that's how they actually Found out about Brian Cox Was from Brian Dennehy Mmm. I still think I like Brian Cox the best. What was the first one again? John Lithgow.
0: Oh God. Yeah, that's the problem, though. I think John Lithgow is on the Brian Cox level. Like yeah. John Lithgow is one of the best actors you'll ever see. Watch him in anything, and tell me he's not amazing. He just is. Like he's he got every possible chop. I do. I wonder if he would have played it with the British or with the uh, yeah with the UK accent or not.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, but that would have been, like I said, John Lithgow's fantastic. Yeah, and, and he's when you- really fucking, you know who's
0: another good one? And that it's, <laughs> this is a very left field, very coked up pick, uh, would have been like Robin Williams. Robin Williams was a tremendous actor. Yeah. And I could have seen him playing this in a, in a way that would just get right under your skin. He did play a serial killer in Insomnia. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. I did. Yeah. He did. He, yeah, I mean, he's what, freaky. It, Robin Williams was great. He was a fantastic he was, actor. He yeah. was a powerhouse actor. And I could have seen him in a role like this. Yeah. I mean, because so, you're looking at John Lithgow from that era you know the, the, he, he was a younger guy at the time so it wouldn't have been crazy I, maybe robin williams was a little too young at the time but I, he was a fucking phenomenal actor
1: yeah he's so good he's so good all right so for you recast or rewrite the living dead what would you recast what would you rewrite uh well i think we we've, we've covered the
0: recast pretty well so i would on the rewrite side I would actually try to include more Hannibal Lecter. He's not he's not in this movie as much as I want him to be. Now that's A because I just love Brian Cox and he he's great on screen. But B, uh, Hannibal Lecter is a very compelling character. I mean, I, every, he's he's just completely known in the zeitgeist as one of the greatest villains of all time. Uh, but he's also sort of he's your ally. Like you, you need his villainy to to catch you know these deadly people. Um, so I would have wanted a little bit more of him. And I would say, you know, I know earlier you were saying you love kind of the forensic aspect of it. To me, this movie had a little too much of the technical stuff, and I think it kind of slew it slowed it down. I'm more of like a gore forensics guy, but again, you know, I'm, I'm horror horror tinged, so that probably works better for me. So I would have had less of that and more more character building, less world building, because uh, th- that stuff didn't do it for me. I know, I know you loved it; it didn't do it for me.
1: Yeah. So two things I could suggest changing. Now, one doesn't make a lot of sense because this movie was made in the '80s, so I'm I'm remaking it for you know a modern age, but there is I actually really enjoy one of the biggest criticisms of this movie when it came out was the soundtrack and the look of the movie because people said it was two eighties. Even though it was made in the eighties, <laughs> yeah, they the were saying it was two 80s. it was two eighties, okay? So that there was a lot of people who had problems with that. Now the last song, the most prolific song in the film at the end, was this was the song In a gata by Iron Butterfly which plays throughout the final, you know, closing moments of the film. And it's, it's, you know, very famous uh, song. I believe, I believe, and I I promise you, I'm trying not to make this up, but I believe I heard somewhere, read somewhere that there was another serial killer that had mentioned him listening to the song when he killed people. And so maybe that's why it got into the movie. Uh, And that's what inspired Michael Mann to put it in there for Francis Dollarhide. I have nothing wrong with Iron Butterfly or Anna Gata but I think in that final scene, if you actually pump in the song Sober by Tool... Do you know the song "Sober"? <laughs> Tool, you know. I am, of course, I know that. Song. I am just a worthless liar. I am just an right. imbecile. I there's something about that baseline and that moment that I think would have been great if you pump in that song instead of "Indigado Vida." I think it would have been a lot, a lot more haunting, especially with the cops closing in on the compound and and Francis, you know, basically getting ready to kill Reba. I think that would have been just that Tool track kind of stuck him. I don't know why, but I was thinking like Tool that sober song would have been so haunting in that moment. Um, and I think that would have been an interesting, you know, just again put that scene to that music. I'm curious what it would look like. The other one, and in terms of recasting, now I don't have a problem with with Kim Greist as uh, Molly, as as Molly, you know, in, in the movie. I think she's fine. Yeah, she, Will Graham's wife. Will yeah. Graham's wife. She just kind of fades into the background, and and and, and I think like when you think about. Uh, Mary Louise Parker, who played the role in red dragon, she had a lot more presence. Now I'm a massive Mary Louise Parker fan. So maybe that's part of it because I think she's just a great actress in general, but Kim Grice just kind of fades into the background and she doesn't really, I don't, I don't really I don't, I, she's, she's, she disappears. Like she just disappears in this movie and I don't think it's a bad performance. I just think it's like, she's just not there. So this is the eighties. I think about an actress who I think would have really like been an equal to Richard Gere or been an equal to, in this case, William Peterson, Deborah Winger. Deborah Mm -hmm. Winger in that role, I think would have had a lot more presence and I think you would have got a lot more out of her. And I think if she had been in that role, she would have been getting consideration for like Oscar, like best supporting actress kind of stuff. Deborah Winger is fantastic in everything she does. But I just think in that particular way, I think that would be really interesting uh, to see how she would have carried that, because I think she would have carried a lot more weight in that movie. That unfortunately Kim Grice did didn't.
0: I think if you if I rewrote your version that casts Deborah Winger, we need to give her more time. I would have actually kind of leaned more towards the Red Dragon storyline, which is uh, which is where Francis goes after his family. Yeah. Then you have her because you when you bring in someone like a Deborah Winger or a Glenn Close. They're not just going to you're not going to give her the same lines you gave Kim Grice. No offense to Kim Grice. You're going to you're going to have to build that character up. You're going to pump that character up more so you would make that storyline more prominent. And I think that would have been pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I just I think I'm a big Deborah Winger fan. I think she would have been great in that role. Uh, And I think she would have brought a lot to it. And I agree. The ending was one thing they did change from the book. To the movie in, in Manhunter, they put it back in Red Dragon, where you know Francis Dollarhide actually escapes and then comes after Will Graham's family at the end of the movie. Uh, if they would have done that, I agree. If Deborah Winger had been in that role, just go ahead and hand her the Oscar. Like I think she would have been fantastic yeah. in that role. And Deborah Winger is fantastic in everything she does. All right. So before we get to our last category, you know, this is again kind of skirting the edge of horror. So we decided to do a new category this week where we talk about our top five favorite serial killers for movies. Now we put some conditions on this so people are like why didn't you add this or why didn't you talk about this okay first off the one rule one rule is you can't pick a real life serial killer meaning you can't pick like a biopic about a real serial killer so this can't be about you know Jeffrey Dahmer or or you know any other real life serial killer that they made a movie about although I would argue there haven't really been a lot of great serial killer based on like unless you want to talk about maybe unless maybe Zodiac you want to talk about like David Fincher's Zodiac like maybe that pretty good but even that there's we don't know who Zodiac is is so you basically you know making it up is who you think is the killer uh but we're not doing that and we're also not doing the slashers meaning you can't pick freddie you can't pick jason you can't pick michael myers because yes technically they are serial killers but they are supernatural serial killers and we're also not going to include like leatherface because again i don't even really consider leatherface a serial killer his entire family is a fucked up whacked out serial killer family so yeah we're going to pick fictionalized serial killers our top five of all time you mind if i go first Please. All right. Number five. All right. Number five. I go with Tom Noonan as the Tooth Fairy as Francis Dollarhide. I think he's nice. fantastic in that role, and I think when you really put him up against anybody else, he does a great job. Are we going to go back and forth? Is that all you want to yeah, do Yeah. Let's it? go back and forth. All right, let's, so let's, yeah. Let's fucking do this, man. I'm fucking ripping yeah. right now. I'm all, all right. fucking coked up. Let's all fucking do All it. right. All right. Eight ball. Slow down. Uh, <laughs> what's what's number what's number five for you?
0: My number five is. Is Anthony Hopkins' Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs? I mean, come on, I, I mean, he's so fucking awesome. Like, I, I, I'm not like the, I'm not a not a Silence of the Lambs fan. I just, I haven't watched it a million times, but his performance haunts you. It's a fantastic performance. I, I had to bring Hannibal Lecter into the into the discussion.
1: Yeah. So my number four is a bit out of left field because I, I, and I'll i explain why I like him. My number four is Stuntman Mike from Death Proof. Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. Ah. Now, first off, I love Kurt Russell. He's fantastic. Love Kurt Russell. But I love the ingenuity of using a Death Proofed car to kill people. Like, it's such a cool, unique way to kill people. Like, he actually, like, yeah. the first girl, he traps in his car and he literally kills her by slamming her head against the side of the car. The second one, when he kills everybody in the car, he just runs his car into them. And then there's, like, no proof that they weren't just and high and ran into him like it, yeah. it's a brilliant disturbing but brilliant lay of like you know being a serial so he uses his car as a weapon i think that's i think that's ingenious
0: that it you know what that's a clever pick man you caught me with that one all right what's number four for you my number four patrick bateman from american psycho first of all christian bale one of the greatest actors of all time but what a fucking psycho he is <laughs> i mean that's we could probably do an episode on American Psycho. It's a crazy movie, and uh, and the book is even more bonkers. Uh, so to me, yeah, Patrick Bateman for sure.
1: Yeah, number three for me, I go back for one of yours. I go with Hannibal Lecter, uh, and and I'm going with the Anthony Hopkins version in sounds of the Lambs. Don't get me wrong, I love Brian Cox in uh, Manhunter, but unfortunately, there's just not enough meat on that bone to really yeah. consider him. You know, he's great, but he's just not. There's just not enough there. But the way that Anthony Hopkins did Hannibal Lecter in Sound Slams is so disturbing and like so creepy and so unnerving. Uh, he's fantastic. I mean, listen, it's, it's one of the greatest acting performances in history, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. So that's my number three. Who's number, who's your number three? My number three is Jang
0: Kyung Chol from I Saw the Devil played by the legendary Choi Min-sik. Have you seen I saw the devil? I have seen that actually. That almost made my list. Funny enough, dude. I I was there was a time in my life. You, you thankfully no one no one knew me then. Where I probably watched I saw the devil every day. I fucking love that movie. And Choi Min Sik's performance is so devious and so nasty. And then at times so desperate. Like he's just a phenomenal actor. And 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 that killer Jang is just so vicious. And uh and and for him to to kind of from just, just the gravity of him twists our main character to kind of turn evil to fight him. I fucking love I Saw the Devil. That's a fantastic serial killer movie.
1: Yeah, it's a good movie. That almost made my list. That was a very good one. All right, my number two, again, we're going to have some similar picks on here. My number two is Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. I love that movie. It's so it's so funny. When I, I actually saw that movie in the theater when it came out, and I hated it. I didn't understand. I was young. I didn't understand it at the time. I was super young and I was like, what the fuck? Like he called his lawyer and confessed and what the fuck is, I didn't get, I didn't get the point of the movie. I was just, it was over my head at that point. I was a teenager, I think. So I didn't get it. Okay. Years later, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I have like four American psycho t-shirts. I love that movie. There's so many. I mean, did you know, did you know I like to dissect young girls? Did you know I'm utterly insane? Like there's so (laughs) many great lines in there. Of course, the Huey Lewis thing. And I mean, there's just so many uh, iconic moments in that movie. So Patrick Bateman is definitely up there for me and one of my all time favorites. What's number two for you? I have a feeling my number two is your number one. Uh, John Doe from Seven.
0: Uh, An eerie, eerie uh, performance by unfortunately uh, a, a rather douchey gentleman in uh, what's his face I'm glad I forgot his name um, John Doe in seven is terrifying it, it, he's like a hor- he is a horror movie come to life um, in the form of a serial killer in this very grounded story he is he is like Jason he is like Freddy he he is something otherworldly unnatural uh, just downright fucking scary it was that your number one pick that is my number one pick, John Doe all right, from ex- Seven. Expound on that and then we'll finish with mine. Go, yeah. Expound on John
1: Doe. Listen, Seven is a top five movie for me all time. I've watched it more recently again. I've watched it a couple times in the last like two weeks and I've texted you about this Like, what, yeah. as I'm watching it just because I'm like I can't believe how amazing this movie is uh, even though it's already one of my favorite movies of all time. But his Kevin Spacey is a scumbag. We all know this, okay? But we had this conversation when we talked about The Burning which was originally written, the story was written by Harvey Weinstein who was obviously one of the most horrific people in the history of Hollywood but I've said you know can you can disconnect the art from the artist and I think in a lot of ways you have to because I can't say usual suspects isn't amazing it's an amazing movie and Kevin Spacey's performance is fantastic Uh, he's a horrible person but you can't disconnect and say he was terrible in that movie And same thing here. He was amazing. I mean, his performance as John Doe was haunting, was terrifying, was creepy. I mean, everything about that, the scene of him driving in the car with Brad Pitt and William uh, with, uh, uh, um, why am I forgetting his name? Um, Ah, shit. uh, Morgan Freeman. Uh, Morgan Freeman. Way. Morgan Freeman. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt in that car, when they're having that conversation with him, where he's sitting there talking to them and he kind of flips out from when he's like a woman, a woman. So, you know, he, he just kind of, there is something so disturbing about that character. Yeah. And like in that, like when he shows up in the police, when he shows up in the police precinct he's like detectives, detectives. Yeah. You're looking for me. I, it's just, Oh, it's just, yeah, it, it's, he's, Disturbing. Did he win awards for that? Uh, No, he didn't actually That movie, I think Seven only got nominated for one Oscar And I think it was like cinematography Or something like that Yeah, I got like one Oscar nomination, I believe Uh, which is which is terrible that movie should have been literally like revisionist history that should have been like best actor best supporting actor best like Mm -hmm. yeah director Mm -hmm. david fincher should have been direct yeah Yeah. john doe is and and this and by the way not to ruin our manhunter conversation this (laughs) is this is where like where i talked about like i didn't really need the dating life of francis dollar like i understand why it's there i do i again i understand why it's there but not actually meeting John Doe until the end of the movie. Like the last 20 minutes is when you actually see him. Obviously you hear his voice earlier in the film when he gets in like the, the gunfight with him in the hallway, but you don't meet the guy until the end. And that's when it really comes out, like how disturbing this guy is. And I think that added to the, to the, to the performance. Uh, So John Doe is my number one. What was your number one? My
0: number one, Damon is a bit of a cheat because it's not just one person. It's three. And that is the Firefly family. Captain Spaulding, Baby, and Otis from The Devil's Rejects okay. are my favorite serial killers on film of all time.
1: Okay. I'll, you know what? And obviously I think you know Devil's Rejects is my favorite horror film ever. Yeah, uh, it's one of my favorite films yeah, of all time. Yeah, Forget about horror. It's yeah, just it, I love that movie. That's a good I, – I didn't consider that one. And I wish yeah, I – had they're serial killers. I mean,
0: you could you could definitely argue in House of a Thousand Corpses that it's something else. But in this movie they are nothing more than that. They are yeah. killers on the loose. That is yeah. what they are and they kill for pleasure and it's and it's absolutely terrifying. Uh, you know Otis played by Bill Mosley is I mean that is that is Bill Mosley's finest hour 100% it's Sherry Moon Zombie's best performance for sure Uh, in that movie she is terrifying she's scary and of course the great Sid Haig playing Captain Spaulding that he has so many wonderful lines and he's dressed in this in this deteriorating clown makeup and he's torturing people at just with his voice and his presence and you know he's going to do something terrible to you he doesn't even have to do it on camera you're terrified of what he's Capable of, you can see it in his eyes. Um, that is what I absolutely. I'm just. I'm intoxicated by those kind of serial killers, and a lot of serial killer movies are like that, where you kind of fall in love with the serial killers. And this is a movie where where that happens, where you're like, oh my god, I'm in love with these maniacs, you know, because they're they're absolutely magnetic. And this is this is for sure these three people's finest hours of acting.
1: Do I stutter, bitch? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am the devil. And yeah. I'm here to do the devil's work. Yeah, and you're it's, like, it's nah, so fucking crazy. Yeah. I
1: like that you cheated a little bit and got three people instead of one. I like that. That they was good. I, I didn't think about that. I honestly, I didn't consider them. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I was thinking three people. Cause you know, my love for devil's rejects, like, you know, my love I know the movie. Know. I, I couldn't yeah. believe
0: it wasn't anywhere on the list.
1: Yeah. I honestly, I didn't really think cause I guess because of the group, I didn't think of it because of the group, like, cause I eliminated like the Sawyer family from Texas chainsaws. So right. Like, yeah. But in that way, yeah, that's brilliant, and they are. I mean, listen, that that movie's. I mean, again, we're eventually going to get there and review the Devil's Rejects. It's going to take some time yeah, to get there. Aside, set aside three hours for that one, folks. Yeah, because that's going to just be full on slobber fest uh, <laughs> for that movie. That's just going to be. That's just going to be me and Patrick on the mic going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just drool, yeah. Just drool, all yeah. The time. That's that's where we might actually need to do some coke during the show to stay going because we're going to be just keep going about how much we love this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. No, and listen, that's again. And there are, and I I was doing research for this, uh, and I you know I did a lot of like the uh, best serial killers in movie history just so I could make sure I didn't miss anybody because Norman Bates, of course, was great. Mm-hmm. You know, in Psycho, yep. there's a lot of other people. Uh, a, a weird one that I didn't actually consider until I I started doing this list was Scorpio from Dirty. Harry that was another one that Mm -hmm. popped up I was like you know what that's actually not bad Mickey and Mallory Knox uh, yep. From Natural and Killers, although Oliver Stone completely fucked up that movie from Quentin Tarantino's brilliant script. That's a whole other <laughs> conversation. Travis Bickle, you could argue, yep. from Taxi yep. Driver. So there are a lot more out there. Uh, but my point is, in, in, in doing the research, there's also a lot of really shitty ones too. I won't name them, but like, it's not easy to pull all <laughs> Name <them necessarily>. one. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not easy to pull. Okay, name one. Ray Fiennes is fucking the. Two- <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got away with it that time. Yeah, Ray Fiennes. There's one uh no but like it's not easy to pull that off it's not easy to do a good serial killer movie i realized that looking through the list because there was a lot on the list and like people's like number 25 numbers i'm like, eh, like i didn't really think it was that good like I didn't, you know, and, and again, teacher art is subjective. It is not, there's no hard and fast rule. that says you have to like a performance. I know a couple of people who I'm friends with who are huge cinephiles who hate American psycho. They didn't get it. They don't like it. They didn't really enjoy the performance. They think that, you know, uh, uh, Christian Bell overacted. And again, everyone's got their own opinion and it's completely okay to have that. There's going to be people who will argue that Ray Fiennes was fantastic and he was far better than Tom Noonan. I would completely disagree, but again, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. So yeah, mm-hmm. I like I said, I I would agree. I think our list, like I said, John Doe for me was so haunting. But yeah, you mentioned the Firefly flame, it kinda of pisses me off. So I'm like, Oh, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that.
0: I'm so it. glad I thought of it <laughs> Yeah, I know we, we both, we both love that movie. So I'm just glad that I, I got the jump for once. God damn it.
1: Yeah, that was good. And actually I really like House of the Thousand Corpses, three from hell. And a, a, a conversation. Well, well, let's not talk about three yeah. from hell. A conversation for another day. Uh, all right, let's close, <laughs> let's, let's close things out as we do each and every week on the show. We're going to talk about, is it scary? No, we've already defined Patrick that this isn't a traditional horror film. It's just not, it's not, it's horror. a thriller. Yeah. It's a thriller. So, I'll kind of pose this to you: but Is it scary on any level? Is this film scary on any level?
0: Yes. Uh, the The scene between uh, Tom Tom Noonan's character and Stephen Lang's character uh, that's the scary that's the scary moment in the movie. that's the That's the real moment in this movie where you're like, "This is unsettling. this This scares me. I don't know. You know, I do know why. You know, Tom Noonan is terrifying in this in this performance at this moment. That's the scary moment in this film. Otherwise, this film is not really designed to even kind of be scary. It's designed to be thrilling, right? It's it's designed to kind of, to you know, to to get you leaning forward, but but it's not gonna it's not gonna scare you. It's not trying to trick you. It's just showing you the process, and yeah. it's it's a rather manic process.
1: Yeah, I would say. And listen, it's not scary in the tradition in any way. It's haunting in scenes. It's a little disturbing in some scenes. There are a couple of good kind of creepy scenes. Like I said, the scene with. Tom Noonan, you know, basically, you know, watching the people he's going to murder while he's banging his girlfriend is a little disturbing. Uh, I would say the ending up to the plate, gra- plate glass window crashing uh, <laughs> up to that point when he's basically like stalking a blind woman around his freaking house is like pretty disturbing. And seeing the terrified look on Joan Allen's face is pretty good. So, yeah, there's a couple of a couple of good scary moments. Is it scary overall? No. Is it a good thriller? Yes. It's a good thriller. Yeah. It's no, a great thriller, and if you haven't checked it out, check it out. I believe it's
0: on Shudder right now. Hey, right? Shudder, what's going oh, on? Hello, Shudder, Shudder. <laughs> yes.
1: where you been, Shudder? Yeah, yeah, it is on Shudder right now. Uh, so yeah, check it out if you haven't seen it. And again, this was kind of a movie I saw years ago, and I didn't really, I, I saw it after Silence of the Lambs, so I compared it to that. And I didn't like it at first. I was like, This is what's Brian Cox? What the huh? <laughs> Yeah, and, then, and then again, much like American psycho, I saw it years later and I was like, okay, now I can appreciate this film. I, I feel like there's a lot of films you watch younger that obviously some movies stick around. You know, we always talk about how much we love monster squad. That remains classic. I watched that within the last year. It's still freaking awesome. Uh, yeah, I think some, it's my son's favorite movie now. Yeah. There's some movies that still, but there's a lot of stuff you see when you're a teenager or early twenties, when you're not like, you know, as much And like I said, uh, you watch it, and back then you're like, "What is this?" And then you watch it ten years later, and you're like, "Oh, this is brilliant." So you know you yeah. you you evolve and grow as a film watcher, and you can appreciate things. And that was very much me in Manhunter because the first time I saw it, I was like, eh. "Like Brian <laughs> Brian Cox is no Anthony Hopkins. Fuck him." You know? <laughs> yeah, that's where I got on my coke binge. I was like, "I don't want to yeah. see this." <laughs> just just flinging big big gobs of powder at the screen. Yeah, Brian this, Cox. this is terrible. Uh, yeah, but now I can appreciate it And, and it's a good, like I said, it's a good one-two punch You go from this to Silence of the Lambs And then uh, we'll forget about Hannibal Which was awful uh, But you know, this <laughs> and the Silence of the pretty. You, you've seen Hannibal, right? Yeah, well, I tried to pretend like I haven't Yeah, oh boy uh, Talk about talk about, talk about some really questions I read the book, and it's very close to the book And the book isn't any better uh so yeah so yeah there we go all right folks we're gonna get out of here obviously want to say a big thank you to each and every one of you that tunes in Uh, if you're looking for the podcast we are available everywhere major podcasts are found including apple Podcasts, spotify amazon music and stitcher you can also find us over on my personal website NerdcoreMovement.com. if you have questions comments anything you want to ask us about the show movies you want us to review please hit us up on twitter you can find me at damon martin and you are at director patrick All right, folks, we will see you next week for another installment of Rewind of the Living Dead. We will see you then. Thanks for tuning in. See you then. Peace.